you believe that, say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to echo what Pastor Trevor mentioned. Thank you for being here who are here. Thank you for joining us online as well who have done that tonight. Again, we appreciate the urge and urgency for caution and all of us who will be leaving here tonight. Of course, we will uh, do the same when we leave as well. I would ask if you would just look around the room tonight and let's all pick a couple of partners and text each other once we have left and uh, once we get home and that way uh, there's a sense of safety among all of us as well. Pastor Trevor also mentioned uh, regarding Sunday, the temperatures are to be in the deep freeze and so we will figure out what we're going to do uh, regarding that and uh, let you know as quickly as possible. So, amen and amen. Well, I'm hearing the words casual Sunday coming from this direction of the room. I see some hands waving in the back. Is there a witness in the Holy Ghost somewhere? Hallelujah. I even wonder if somebody's putting a little high five sign on the Facebook right now. My goodness. What do you think? All right, well. We'll see what the Lord says. No. Amen. Well, uh, before we dismiss our youth and our uh, children, I just want to say something. I leaned over to Brother Mac. I said, you know, it's interesting that here tonight I am, uh, you know, teaching the second installment of this series. And tonight's title is You Must Be Born Again. Here we are singing about a new name written down in glory. I love how God just merges and works things together. So again, to all of our staff, please watch this, not because I'm the one preaching it, but that way you can... Uh, further understand and know why we believe what we believe. So God bless all of our student ministries and children's ministries team. Thank you so much, all of our kids and students, and thank you. Let's give them a great big hand. <laughs> Praise God. While they are leaving the building, or the, the sanctuary, rather not the building, uh, to go into the kids' wing and uh, downstairs. The rest of you, if you would join me in John chapter 3. I want to begin there, and then I'm also going to read from Ephesians chapter 6. Amen. John chapter 3, and then Ephesians chapter number 6. <clears throat> Praise God. Beginning at verse number 3 in John, Jesus answered and said unto him, he's speaking to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now heareth the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Also want to direct your attention to Ephesians chapter number 6, and we're going to read verses 18 through 20. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And I want you to hone in on that phrase right there, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds that, I, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Tonight, as we continue this series reaffirming the fundals, my title is, You Must Be Born Again. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. For the opportunity to share your word. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer and write it upon the hearts and minds of your people that we might obey and apply it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The mystery of the gospel uh, is mentioned there in Ephesians as a prayer request by Paul as he concludes the discussion of the whole armor of God. Now, I don't have time to go into all of that and how it relates to the armor. That's another message for another time. However, we do see that in this part, at least, Paul desires to share the mystery of the gospel with all who will listen. And we know from his life, he did indeed do that. In a nutshell, the mystery of the gospel is 
All that repent and obey the word of God experiencing the new birth. When Jesus became zealous, fashioning a whip and chasing the money changers out of the temple, he quoted from Isaiah chapter number 56 verse 7, which says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. That is important because God never intended to just save one ethnicity. Before the world began, the Bible lets us know that God had a plan to redeem all of those who would obey His Word and experience the new birth. So, to understand the mystery of the Gospel, you must realize that the word salvation is multifaceted. There are three other words that also describe salvation. They are justified, sanctified, and glorified. Let's look at them real quickly here. Justified means freed from the penalty of sin. So you can compare the new birth with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you repent, you die to your sin and to those fleshly desires therein. You bury the dead person of sin when you experience water baptism in the name of Jesus. You go under the burial, you come up, and the sin doesn't because it's for the remission of sins in Jesus' name. Then when you speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gives utterance, you experience that transformative power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and new life in Him. Colossians tells it, or says it like this, that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what the resurrection is. That's what speaking in tongues is. Baptism is Christ on us because they that are baptized into Christ, according to Galatians, have put on Christ. And so you both need to put Him on and in your life. And that's what justification is. Now, how many of you know the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So, since the wages of sin is death, the new birth accepts Jesus' payment for the penalty. That's where justification comes in. He paid for all our iniquity. So when you repent and are born again completely, baptism's Holy Ghost, you start your new life in God, then you have been freed from the penalty of sin. Now, justification... Uh, at least the, the whole of it, is a one-time experience. Now, there have been people backslide and return and get renewed, or we call it refilled. Uh, really, it's just, you know, they, they didn't lose the Holy Ghost per se, but they just re-established that uh, connection and commitment to God. You don't have to be rebaptized. Now, I have talked to some who want to, uh, or because they were baptized young and don't remember it, and I'm okay with that, but if it's in the name of Jesus, whether it's in a baptistry like what we have, or a lake, or a river, or a swimming pool for that matter, it doesn't matter as long as you're baptized in the name of Jesus. But the part of justification that we do continue daily is the repent part. I die daily, Paul said. Well, let's move on to the second word, which is sanctification. This means to be freed from the power of sin. Now, whereas justification is a one-time experience. Sanctification is a lifelong journey. It's a daily experience. You will experience that continuation of being sanctified until Jesus returns or you die, whichever comes first. Sanctification is where we take on the nature of Jesus Christ. When my son Braxton was born, People would come in and they would say things like, he's got your eyes or his mama's nose or whatever. And to some extent, I get what we're doing. And there are some children that do indeed look like their, their uh, parents. And thank God for that. But here's the reality. If you see Braxton now, not just his looks, but his mannerisms, you'll know that's Myron Powell's son. The reason is not only... Saint justification is his birth. At that moment, he was my son. But his actions and mannerisms has become like his father, for better or for worse. And so in the same sense, the more we become like Christ in our lives, inwardly and outwardly through holiness and so forth, we become more like him, and that's sanctification. You see, we reveal God in the attitudes that we have, the choices we make, even the clothes we wear or not, this, the, and all of this goes into what sanctification is. 
The question you have to ask about sanctification is this. Is it wise? And that is the best way to die daily, becoming more like Jesus. Is it wise to say, do, act, or live the way you are or or are thinking about since Jesus justified you? What were the consequences of your choices before you experienced the new birth? While answering these, that's a part of sanctification and following it. The third word is glorified. This is where you're freed from the presence of sin. So justification, penalty, sanctification, power. And when Jesus comes again, we'll be freed from the presence of sin forever. Amen. So as we go through tonight's lesson and dive into this, I want to uh, answer a couple of questions. First of all, how can some claim salvation if they do not obey the fullness of God's word? And number two, how are some today teaching an unbiblical salvation message? Those are two main questions that I'm going into tonight to try to answer as we uh, dig into this. And with God's help, we will answer them and hopefully any others that you may already have. After Jesus' ascension, God filled the repentant believers with His precious Holy Spirit. Those 120 gathered in the upper room. God commissioned them to spread the mystery of the gospel in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth, Acts 1.8. And for the rest of tonight's message, I want to walk through a systematic approach of the book of Acts and some of the epistles to show you what the born-again church did and how they responded to the message of Jesus. These men and some of these women had been with Jesus nearly all of the three and a half years of His earthly ministry, and they then took what Jesus taught them and lived it, practiced it, preached it, taught it, shared it, believed it, and helped others to also apply it. So, let's begin in Acts chapter 2. Remember Jesus said, beginning at Jerusalem and in all Judea. Acts chapter 2 represents both of that. Initially, it was the 120 there in the upper room who had tarried for an entire week waiting for the promise of the Father. They had been waiting, and they did some business. They uh, uh, decided that since uh, uh, Judas was no longer a part of them, they needed to uh, elect uh, someone to take his place, and Matthias was chosen after the lots were cast. Uh, They uh, no doubt discussed other things, but at the appointed time when the day of Pentecost was fully come, their patience paid off and God's mighty rushing wind filled the house where they were sitting. I want to point that out for just a minute and say they were sitting. A lot of times I've I've seen people that that seem to believe you have to be standing to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, And I don't know if that got kind of infused into how some people believe or not, but you can get the Holy Ghost sitting down. I know a man that was laying in his bed and got the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, how it happens, uh, or even where, is not as important as the fact that you must be born again and you need to speak in other tongues. Okay, as they begin to, to feel this, and the Bible says cloven tongues of fire set upon them, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke in 17 different languages, not all at once, necessarily each person, but other, like this one may have spoken uh, one language and this one another, but there were 17 known languages. That doesn't diminish the fact that it was as the Spirit gives utterance because the speaker did not know the tongue in which they were speaking. Okay? So if I, I don't know Swahili, but if all of a sudden God moved upon me and I started speaking Swahili, and it was of the Spirit, it was as His Spirit gave utterance, that's just as real as if it's a heavenly dialect or, you know, phrases and, and so forth put together. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, joy intensifies here at this experience. The word spreads, and 17 different nations of Israel are all combined there of the 12 tribes. Miraculously, they hear these Galileans speaking, and they begin to wonder what it is. Some of them mock and say, oh, they're drunk. So Peter stands up with the 11 of the apostles, and I like that because what it means is they agreed with him. They're standing with him implied. We're behind what he is saying to you now. And so he began to say, "Uh uh-uh, these aren't drunk as you suppose. And he began to preach 
what is the first Pentecost message. As he neared the end of his preaching, and he's quoted from Psalms and Jew, uh, um, I'm sorry, Joel and other places, and as he concludes or gets to the, 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 the apex of the message, if you will, all of a sudden, these repentant Jews realize, I don't want to die in my sin. And so they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? What a good question. And as they awaited the answer, I, I don't think it was a long period of time. I don't think Peter had to turn around and confer with the other 11 and say, okay, guys, what do I tell them? I think the Holy Spirit just moved upon him and he just simply said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then he says something else. He says, for the promise is unto you and uh, to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The other day I was looking at this and God showed me something that I believe is relevant. It's a new angle that I had never seen before regarding this. But if you go back to the crucifixion of Jesus just a few, about 50 some odd days prior at Passover, you'll find the, the, the religious leaders and the Jews saying, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Peter, just before they are convicted, he says to them, this same Jesus whom you crucified has God made both Lord and Christ. And so they're feeling the weight of this. And it's possible, and this is what God showed me, could it be that it's possible they're feel, feeling like, oh no, I've not only cursed myself, but I've potentially cursed my children too. And when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he doesn't stop with them. He says, oh, by the way, this promise is to you and your children. You see, the curse is reversed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, if Peter's message had violated anything other than what Jesus had taught and other than what the 11 apostles uh, 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 would agree with, they would have stopped him. But Peter's message perfectly aligned with the words of Jesus. And you can read that in Luke 24, 44 through 49. Jesus mentions Terry in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. Jesus said... Uh, Preach repentance. They preach repentance. Jesus said for remission of sins uh, in his name. He preached baptism and for remission of sins in his name. And he said, be endued with the power from on high. That was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So just like the mystery of God and godliness is not mysterious, so the mystery of the gospel is not mysterious. You must be born again. And if your experience does not align with Acts 2, then you must follow its pattern if you expect to expend eternity with Jesus. Jesus said, except you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That makes it absolute. It's not just a creed or, or an opinion or a tradition or even a dominational uh, a standard or belief. It is the Word of God. Amen? All right. Well, let's jump to Acts 8. This is the next time we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, in a great way. Here, Philip is preaching in Samaria, and thousands are experiencing the new birth in this uh, uh, city, uh, just like they had there. It's, it's wonderful. Hearing Philip's message brought joy, and they begin to experience the healing, but also water baptism in Jesus' name. Now, as of yet, none of them have received the Holy Spirit until the apostles join them. And when they join them, they lay hands on them, and they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit excuse me, gives utterance. The mystery of gospel has now spread to Samaria. Remember, Jesus said uh, unto Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria. So they've now fulfilled that part. Okay, it's it spread all over Jerusalem. It's spread all over Judea. That'd be like the metro. Okay, Omaha is a, a city within, but, but a part of the metro includes Papillion, La Vista, Council Bluffs, etc. Right? And so, in fact, there's technically eight counties in what's considered the Omaha metro, five in Nebraska, three in Iowa. And so that would be all Judea. Samaria is, is another, another whole city. It, it's the half-Jews. It's those who were a part of the original ten tribes that broke off uh, with um, Jeroboam. 
okay? So that would be like going to Lincoln or, or, you know, North Platte or something like that, another Des Moines, whatever, in whichever direction it would be further on. So now they fulfilled that part, okay? But here's what's interesting. As the eighth chapter reaches its midpoint, uh, God calls Philip to head into the desert near Gaza, and so he does. And there Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. And I want to just pause right here and bring out something that's important. Every one of us, I believe, I think I'm safe to assume this, would love to see the thousands, the hundreds, the, the many receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I mean, I, I know I would. I, and not for any kind of own personal pride or just, I would love to see it. And I have been in church services where hundreds and even thousands have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in one setting. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's glorious. However, here's Philip in the midst of this citywide revival where the Bible says the gospel was preached in all the villages of Samaritans. And I mean hundreds of them, if not thousands of them, are being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And God says, I'm going to take you away from that and send you to one. And I believe what this says, if anything else, is that the one is just as important as the many. After all, the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. Amen. Somehow this Ethiopian eunuch has heard about God. Somehow he has a hold of a scroll of Isaiah. Now how he got this, we don't know. Uh, you know, if you watch different shows that are out there, some of them try to put, I've seen Bible shows try to describe what it might have been, and I'm okay with their artistic license. It's not taken away from the gospel or the element of who God is. We really don't know. So how he got it is unknown. We know he got it. We know he understood it. We know there was something about it. We also know that it's possible he would have come to Jerusalem to worship. And so it's possible he would have had access to this scroll before coming to uh, Jerusalem. However, because he's a eunuch, he's been turned away because according to the law, you can't go in if you're a eunuch. It's prohibited according to the law. Also, he's a Gentile. He can't go in for that fact either. And so if he did go intending to worship God, now he's been sent away. And so he's heading back to, to you know, report back to the queen there and go to back to Ethiopia because uh, he's the treasurer. He's a eunuch for her. And he's reading this scroll and along comes Philip. You understand what you're reading? Well, not really. Let someone tell me, is this, is this guy talking about himself or someone else? He's reading Isaiah 53. And, and Philip begins reading there and starts ministering the word to him. Now, it's my opinion, and I'm careful to say that, that he went through to Isaiah 56. And I believe it's when he got to, so he starts at 53. So chapter, what we would know is chapter 53, 54, 55. And I believe when he gets to 56, this is the point in which the eunuch says, there is water, I want to be baptized. Watch and, hear, and, and see why. In Isaiah chapter 56, Right? The Bible, op that chapter opens with, says, Thus says the Lord, keep judgment and do justice, for salvation has come near to me. Then he drops down, and later in the same chapter he says, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people, but neither let the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord unto the eunuch that keeps my Sabbath and chooses the things which please me and takes hold of my covenant, even to them, the eunuchs, Will I give in mine house and within my walls a name better than sons and daughters? I will give them, the eunuchs, an everlasting name that should not be cut off. And, and later on in the same uh, text here near the end, he says, even them will I bring to my holy mountain. I believe when he got to that part, the eunuch said, you mean to tell me I can have this? You mean to tell me uh, going to the temple, they wouldn't let me in, but Jesus is the fulfillment of that? Then there's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And that's when I believe he was baptized. Praise God. Amen. Did he also receive the Holy Ghost? The scripture doesn't necessarily say, but I would believe that it's highly likely he did. Uh, if he did and he experienced the fullness of that, he actually is the first Gentile. We often say Cornelius is, but it's very possible that, in fact, this Ethiopian eunuch actually was. When Abel sacrificed excellently to the Lord. It was a lamb for a man. When on the night of the Passover, they were still in Egypt and Israel offered a lamb, it was a lamb for a family. And when in the wilderness God established His covenant with them, it was a lamb 
for a nation. But when John the baptizer, the final prophet of the Old Testament, looks and sees Jesus, he doesn't say, behold the Lamb of God for a man. He doesn't say, behold the Lamb of God for a family. He doesn't even say, behold the Lamb of God for a nation. No, Brother Sal, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that salvation is made ready for everyone, for whosoever will. Praise God. What Acts 8 does is leads us into, obviously, what is Acts 8. Nine, And if you're familiar with Acts 9, is you're familiar with the fact that this is Saul's conversion unto the Lord. Amen? This is important because Saul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. By the way, when he's with the Jews, he called himself Saul because that's how you say Saul in uh, you know, uh, Hebrew. Uh, when he was with the Gentiles, he would pronounce it Paul. Uh, God really didn't change his name. He, he really used both, but it's the same thing. Okay? Uh, it's just like Yeshua and Jesus. It's two different languages, but it's the same thing. Well, Paul, Saul. So Saul here is now going to convert and become the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, let's talk about uh, him for just a few minutes here. Some have claimed that because his experience does not include speaking in tongues, that we can't use him as an example, and to do so might weaken the Bible. But here's the point. Actually, uh, I suggest that not including him reveals a lack of study. Here's why. If you jump ahead to Acts 19, you're going to find that Paul says this to John's disciples. Um, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Why would Paul ask something of someone else that he himself had not experienced? That's one of my first questions. As well, Paul writes in the, to the Corinthians and divulges some things that I believe also prove to the fact that he did, in fact, speak in tongues. Allow me to prove it. In verse, chapter 13, verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Right there out of the bat, we know Paul prays or speaks in tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, he says, I would that all of you would speak in tongues. Uh, pretty good indicator that he himself is well this one might be the real clincher first corinthians 14 8 i thank my god that i speak in tongues more than all of you i pretty much say pastor lucas that paul would have received the holy ghost because he's not going to speak in tongues there if he hadn't got it initially but there's one more in first corinthians 14 9 he says forbid not to speak in tongues so I will not name any denomination, but I will stand here to tell you and say, if a church, if an organization, if a denomination says tongues is only for the New Testament, they're violating what God said through Paul. Forbid not to speak in tongues. Hallelujah. So for those reasons, I believe Paul did speak in tongues when he got the Holy Ghost in Acts 9. By the way, Paul also quotes Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, revealing that God will speak to his people through stammering lips and another tongue. And that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Remember when I said that they spoke in 17 languages? It was unknown to them, but known to the one hearing. Well, in 1991, I had this experience. I was in Manaus, Brazil, had the privilege to pray for this lady. We were in the altar, and I'm praying for her. And all of a sudden, in perfect English, she begins to say, Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. He is the one true God. Jesus Christ is worthy of all the praise and the honor. And I'm like, wow, this woman knows some good English, and she's declaring the glory of God. Hallelujah. And I look to Brother DeMerch, and he's on my right. I'm like, man, she's really worshiping. He goes, she's getting the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, but she's speaking English. He goes, she don't know any English. I'm like, huh? And all of a sudden, I realized I'm experiencing Acts chapter 2 here. I'm hearing it in my tongue, but she don't know a word in English. Oh, that was rich and beautiful. Hallelujah. Paul experienced the new birth the same way the 120 in the upper room did. He was baptized in the name of Jesus, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues. Now we move to Acts chapter 10. Okay, so we've got the Jews in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, 
And the Ethiopian eunuch is starting the next part of that verse, uttermost part of the earth. But now we're really going to see that happen in Acts chapter 10. Now, I've been preaching since 1987. Thank the Lord for that. Hallelujah. During that time, I have been interrupted on numerous occasions. Okay? My favorite interruptions, though, are like what happened in Acts chapter 10. By the way, you will never interrupt me or God if you feel to come and pray. That, that is not an interruption to the preaching of the word of the Lord. Man, if, if God's dealing with you, these altars are always open. I remember one time I was preaching, and God had actually shown me a vision that this was going to happen. And I shared it with Brother Keith. I said, there's a woman tomorrow when I'm preaching this is going to come running down the aisle. And, and sure enough, right at, when I told him, right in the middle of the aisle, she comes running down. I want to repent. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> go ahead, repent. Let's have church. Now, although, again, Cornelius was not the first Gentile, I believe that was the Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius and his family ignite a wildfire that burns to the present day. He is sending up memorials and prayers to the Lord. And an angel comes and, and tells him to send and call for Peter. Meanwhile, God gives Peter this vision. and He shows him this, this blanket filled with unclean animals according to the law. And the, the, the message is arising. He says, I can't eat. That's unclean. And finally, God says, don't call common what I have called clean. And, and by the way, there's three men at your door right now. And, you know, ding dong. You know, oh, well, okay. Wow, the Lord's right. Well, of course he is. So he goes with them to Cornelius' household. And he and a few that went with him begin to preach. And in the middle of his preaching, you can read in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, all of a sudden, while he yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, and they began to speak with tongues. And right in the middle of his sermon, he's getting ready to make a point, and, and Jesus was crucified, and all of a sudden, blah, 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 blah. He's, did you hear that? He just spoke in tongues. So, so is she. So is, oh, my word. They're getting the Holy Ghost just like we did. And he turns around, and he goes, um, they're getting it like we did on the, uh, in the upper room. Can any man forbid water? I mean, hey, if God's pouring out on them, we need to baptize them too. And of course they did. They baptized them afterwards. Peter defended this in Acts 11 verse 17 when, when he goes back to Jerusalem like, you baptized Gentiles? He's like, uh, hold on, time out here before you stone me. And he says, what was I that I could withstand God? I mean, if he's going to fill them with the Holy Ghost... You think I'm going to not baptize him? You're nuts. That's what he was saying. That's the Myron Powell version, by the way. Okay? <laughs> A little bit more crazy, but it's true. Right? And so now we see. Here's what I want to know. <clears throat> How big was his household? You can assume a wife. Maybe assume a couple of children. Being that he was the status he would have had as a... As a uh, uh, um, um, what? Cornelius was a, help me out. Centurion, my goodness, it was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. A centurion. Based on that status, one could assume he might have had uh, servants working with him, possibly other soldiers. How many got the Holy Ghost? You know, was it literally just his wife and kids? Uh, was it more? I don't know. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever know until we get there, but, you know, I do know it was a number of people. It wasn't just one or possibly two. Now, I want to pause here for a minute and tell you that so far, everybody that has received the Holy Spirit has spoke with tongues, obviously repented, spoke with tongues, and been baptized, or been baptized, then spoke with tongues. Either way, everybody so far in the Bible, thousands have done it this way. Now we go to Acts chapter 19. Paul's been preaching. By the way, the Holy Spirit was poured out in approximately 29 A.D., and Acts 19 is approximately 54 A.D., Okay, this is about 27 years difference. Now, most scholars put John the Baptizer's death about two, two years before Jesus' death. So again, about 27 years or so that these disciples have been following the teachings of what John preached. In other words, they're still looking for the Messiah because that's what John was preaching. Repent, he's coming, I'm, I'm the, the voice crying in the wilderness. So kudos to them for holding fast to a belief and a doctrine. But apparently, because of wherever they had traveled, obviously this was Ephesus, 
they had not heard. And so I love Paul's approach, okay? Hey, how you doing? Good. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I dare you to go ask somebody that. No, I really do. It happened to me one night. I was at a hotel, and the Lord told me, said, go ask if she's born again. Okay. Are you born again of the water and spirit anyway? So he did. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they're like, um, we haven't even heard if there is a thing called the Holy Ghost. Here's what I love about Paul. He doesn't look at them and say, well, you stupid morons. Man, my goodness. John preached this 27 years ago. Where have you been? He does not berate them for believing different than him. He finds common ground. What's he do? He backs up a step, if you can call it that. Well, how were you baptized? Oh, yeah, well, we were baptizing John's baptism into repentance. Again, he doesn't say, come on, guys, that doctrine's been fulfilled. John's been dead. Come on. No. You know what he does? Hey, great. John did preach repentance, and he was the forerunner of Jesus. You know he also said one's coming after him? Yeah, yeah. Let me preach that one to you. And he began to preach that one. And they begin to hear it. And they get excited. And they want it. And we want this Holy Ghost. And they received the Holy Ghost. And they were baptized in Jesus' name. And again, uh, actually baptized first. But in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 5 and then verse 6, he laid hands on them. They spake with tongues and prophesied. So again, every time you see it in the book of Acts, repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus, and speaking in other tongues. That is God's plan, you might say, his formula, whatever word you want to use there, of salvation. That's what the new birth is. I'm going to use a couple of epistles to show you something, but I want to just clarify something for just a moment. Just a real quick miniature, exploring God's word, Bible study. Ready? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are called the... Bing, bing, bing. You guys are going to win the big prize. What do we have for him, Benna? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right. The Gospels, what do they do? They introduce us to Jesus, right? Who he was, his birth, his life, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension. The book of Acts, a lot of people just classify it as history, which, of course, it is. It's the beginning and the history of the church, but it's really the birth of the church spiritually, Okay. It's where we experience Jesus. So we meet him in the Gospels. We experience him in Acts. Now, Romans through Revelation. And I'm going to lump Revelation in this because John is told to write to the seven churches. That sounds like an epistle to me. So if you'll allow me, we're just going to lump that in as an epistle. I know it's also apocalyptic prophecy, and, but other places in the epistles also prophesy the apocalypse. So if it's okay with you, Romans through Revelation are the epistles written to the church written to the elect, written to those who were already born again. Now, I am not a mailman, but the Steve Showalter who pastors downtown is. You can verify with him. But last I checked, it's a federal offense to check somebody else's mailbox and get into it and do all that stuff, right? In other words, if you have jumped from the Gospels and leapfrogged or hurdled over the book of Acts into any one of the epistles for your plan of salvation, you're reading mail that don't belong to you because you're not yet born again. You can't skip the book of Acts. You can't jump over the book of Acts. You can't uh, uh, subvert it in any way. You have got to experience Jesus in Acts. Now, do the epistles also qualify or confirm? Absolutely. They confirm what happened. They confirm the words of Jesus. They confirm the prophecies of the Old Testament. But we find our salvation in the book of Acts. But... That being said, let me show you a couple places. Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 14 refers to this being sealed. Uses the, the, the terms sealed, inheritance, and earnest of our inheritance. It also uses the phrase the redemption of the purchased possession. Every one of these speak to a down payment. Here's why that's important, Okay. When Jesus comes again, the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised, and we shall uh, raise incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. That moment 
Something happens. We go from mortal to immortality. We go from corruption to incorruption. Okay? So bear with me. The down payment is the first time you receive the Holy Spirit. Your personal day of Pentecost, whenever that is, if it's in May, if it's in June, if it's in December, if it's at night, if it's in the morning, if it's laying in bed, if it's standing up, sitting down, wherever, whenever, if it's at a conference or a church or whatever, when you were born again, that first time you spoke in tongues is God's first installment, the first down payment of what it's going to feel like when we're changed from mortal. How many, to, to that point, those of you that have prayed in the Spirit, those of you that have felt the presence of God time and again, have you, can you testify to some sense of this being true that, wow, there are moments when whew, you just feel like just lost in the presence of God, lost in time, and you, you come out of it and you look at your watch and you're like, whoa, it's been an hour. I only felt like five minutes there. Man, where was I? That's because you're getting another down payment of what it's going to feel like when we are eternally changed. So Paul uses those words. By the way, if you want to get some more down payments and installments, Jude says this, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong with praying in the Holy Ghost. I, I tell people this all the time. When you begin to pray in the Spirit, it's always right. Here's why. I remember one time I was praying for your sister, Bethany, and I was praying for, I had my hand on Bethany, but I was praying for Rebecca. Oh, God, sister Rebecca, and I'm praying for Bethany. It's like, you know, thank God God knew what I meant, you know. But in, the, in English, you know, I, I might have messed up. Does that make sense? But praying in the Spirit, God don't make mistakes. He's always right. In Colossians 2, 10 through 15, we see another uh, reference to the death, burial, and resurrection. Paul used these terms, in fact, even calling it circumcision and, and baptism uh, uh, into Christ and burial and things like that uh, as well to point to the fact of salvation. By the way, these two places, Ephesians and Colossians, Paul wrote those. Paul would not talk about that and refer back to what happened at Acts, refer back to what happened at the birth of the church if he believed a different message. Because when he writes in Galatians, he says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. He even repeats it again. This is Galatians 1, 6 through 9. There is no other gospel than what Jesus and his apostles preached. That is the everlasting gospel. Now, other people will preach other things, but that's not true. That's not the right gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you loving the Lord? I want to just point out something real quick, how that this also compares with the mystery of Christ. Because the mystery of Christ, in its fullness, means the incarnation, the mighty God in Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world. That's the mystery of Christ. Well, had He not come, we wouldn't have salvation, because He purchased our salvation with His own blood. Amen? Now, I've also mentioned sanctification tonight as it relates to salvation. Here's why I'm saying that. The mysteries overlap and interconnect one with, the, with another. They create one singular doctrine. There's multiple facets or threads, but it's one doctrine. Okay? And so that's important to remember as we study through this because you can't talk about the oneness of God, but what you don't also talk about the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the gospel and, and other facets of who and what God is and what we believe because they're all interconnected. And to do away with one of them really is to damage the whole. Does that make sense? Okay. I want to bring... As we bring this to a close, I, I want to bring something to your attention and go to one of the questions I had earlier. As I said last week, I want to reemphasize, I'm not asking these questions or, or presenting them to try to be ignorant or coy or stupid or a jerk. I'm trying to emphasize the fact that these questions must be answered and we have the Bible, of course, as our answer, but someone who would believe something contrary to that, has to answer some very serious questions. So there are some who claim what they call the Romans road. They take it from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, to explain 
God's salvation. But when they do, they neglect to realize that Acts tells the action taken on the words of Jesus, while Romans is an epistle written to God's church who is made up of born-again believers. So because of that, Paul did not need to fully explain the new birth. If I said to you, you must be born again, everybody in this room would understand that. I, I don't need to go into complete detail every time we say that. So in a service, we could just say, anybody want to be born again? You know, or anybody here is born again. We know what that means. And so Paul could do the same thing. He could use simple terms that the church would have understood without further detail. Part of what this Romans road says is, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Okay. Well, I agree in this sense. When you repent, what are you doing? You're confessing your sins. God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have believed. I confess that you're God and I need you. That's confession, is it not? Okay. How about this? When you get baptized in Jesus' name, especially if it's at this church, we're going to first ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe the word of the Lord? Do you understand what baptism We're going to make sure you answer all these questions where you know why you're going to. It's not just getting wet. It's not getting into like a warm jacuzzi type of thing and, and enjoying it because it, you know, whatever. No, this, this is a symbolic moment where you're taking on Christ. So in your answers, you're confessing and professing that you believe Jesus is God. And when the preacher baptizes you, what does he do? Upon the confession of your faith and obedience to the word of God, I now baptize you in the name of... He's confessing. What happens when you speak in tongues? You're confessing the majesty and glory of God. So all Paul had to say was, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Everybody would have known what he meant. They wouldn't think, oh, he's bringing a new gospel. They wouldn't think that, okay, in 2021, the Romans that received this letter would not be sitting there going, okay, so for us in the first century, we have to speak in tongues, but for those in the 21st, they don't. That's not what they would have thought. And so the cessation doctrine that is alive and well in a lot of evangelical churches is absolutely wrong. Case in point was what happened on January 31st when a young man walked into this church after been witnessing to for three years ago, sat in the back and repented, came up during the songs and repented again, stood over here and said, I want to get baptized. Pastor Lucas prayed for him. He gets the Holy Ghost and gets baptized after. It, we don't have electrodes plugged into the seat. I don't have a button on my phone. Zap, you know. It might be nice to do that sometimes, you know. Wake up. You know, A1, you know, no, but we don't have that, do we? That was the power of the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So following the Romans road and believing you experienced full salvation is detrimental. You may feel a sense of belonging in a local church. You may even feel an emotional weight lifted of your sin from your shoulders because in, in, when you do pray, quote-unquote, the sinner's prayer, that's repentance, and God does forgive. He will respond to that. But unless you are complete that, unless you're born again of the water and spirit, why did Paul say, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Here's why. Because Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Believeth there correlates to repentance. Baptized, baptism. Shall be saved, resurrection, speaking in tongues. That's why Paul asked that question. So if Paul were alive today and we had him to come and preach a special tent revival for the church of Omaha and we walked the streets and we knocked on doors, Paul would say to people the same thing. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And if they said, well, we've confessed and we've accepted the Lord Jesus, he would look at them and say, 
Then how were you baptized? He would want to get to the point because if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you've not experienced full salvation. So I come tonight with the same question. I realize it's a smaller crowd and I realize a lot of people are watching online, but I also realize a lot of people watch online. And so I say to you watching and listening tonight live and or those of you who may listen to it later in the archive, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Don't delay if you haven't. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until another service or some other day. Repent and be baptized now. Be filled tonight. It's non-negotiable. You must be born again. I believe in some way everyone will have to answer that question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Amen. Well, why don't we stand to our feet? And why don't we ask the Lord to help us to share the gospel? I want to bring a special announcement to you as we get ready to pray. It's, it's January 10th, and as of tonight, there have been 14 people already taught a Bible study this year. That's more than one per day. I was at a Starbucks the other day and getting my caffeine fix, and the lady was really nice, and I pulled out one of the cards, you know, you were noticed. I said, hey, our church is giving these out. We're noticing people that are doing great. We, I don't want to say thank you. Really good spirit, and coffee's good, and oh, thank you. And she asked a bunch of questions about the church. I went back the second day because you've got to go back again to Starbucks, and it was triple star day, so you've got to get more stars, you know. I go back in, Brother Tim, and, and she's, she goes, hey, Myron, how you doing? Hey, I lost your card. Can I have another one? I'm like, yeah, you sure can. And the other barista with you, you can have one too. Amen. And so I, I say that to say there are people that are hungry. I received over two, uh, over three different emails this week of people saying, I'm looking for a church. Can you answer some questions? God is reaching people, and we're going to ask them that question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to reach people in our community. I pray that you would bless our efforts. Help us to reach people effectively. Help us to do it the way you want it done. God, help us to love people and to share your truth with them that they might be saved. We ask it and pray it and believe it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We also pray, Lord, for all of us traveling tonight that you would give us your mercies on the road and get us home safely. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and would everybody say, Amen. Please do me a favor. Please text at least a couple other people around you. Let's make sure we all get home safe tonight. I'll be up for a while. I'll keep my phone on. Please, I want to make sure all of you got home safe. I love you in Jesus' name.